Luke chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable on, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Luke is confirming our faith. That's, that's the goal of the book of Luke. You read in the opening uh, verses of the book of Luke, he is addressing a man named Theophilus, and he is putting together an entire account of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, and sending this to Theophilus for the, for the purpose of confirming Theophilus' faith. Now, there's a lot of debate. Did Theophilus ever, was, there, was that a real guy or was that a pseudonym? It doesn't matter. The point of the book of Luke is to confirm our faith by telling us everything that can possibly be told to us about Jesus. Everything that Luke could put together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he put it together about Jesus for the purpose of, containing our, of confirming our faith. We don't know everything that Jesus ever did because John wrote that if you wrote down everything Jesus did, the world could not contain the volumes of books that would be written about Jesus. Amen. Over the past few months, as we have studied through the book of Luke, we have examined Luke's teaching of the gospel and Luke's teaching of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have learned that it was Jesus who came seeking us. It was Jesus who came seeking to save us. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this goes right along with 1 Timothy 1.15. To save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm the chief sinner. I'm the worst sinner. But the Lord even came to save me. You say, Leland, you're being kind of bold. That was the words of the Apostle Paul. He came to redeem us. He came to save us. And over the past several months, as we have studied our way through the book of Luke, we have seen that the love of Christ and his grace 
have been front and center and everything has been built around the gospel, how Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, giving us eternal life according to the scriptures. And we have talked about how Jesus loves us. We have talked about what Jesus has done for us. We have talked about the grace of the Lord. We have talked about redemption. We have talked about salvation and all the great things that Jesus has done for us. But what if we don't want it? Or what if we take it for granted? What then? Jesus addresses that in this passage. Title of our sermon this morning is The Price of Rejection. If we neglect so great a salvation, what do we have to look forward to? In this passage, Jesus pronounces judgment on the people in the cities that reject him and his gospel. I want you to understand something. Our default position in God is being lost. Our default position in the Lord is judgment, is guilt, is conviction is wrath, is punishment. That's the default. If you have ever worked with computers or you've ever worked with spreadsheets where there's a yes, no answer, zero is no, one is yes. Zero is the default. If this particular piece of data has this added feature, you put a one for yes, right? Our default is zero. With Christ, we are one. Rejecting the, and that's where we start out. But rejecting the gospel is even worse. Because the more you know, y'all ever watch NBC, those little PSAs, they do a little star shooting across the screen, the more you know. The more you know, the more you have been taught, the more you have been told, the more you have been warned, the more accountable the Lord holds you for this decision. Rejecting the gospel, the more you reject the worse the judgment. And that's what Jesus is saying here. In this passage, we are going to learn three things. First, we are going to learn that the kingdom has come near. And we're going to talk about what that means. The kingdom has come near. Second thing we are going to look at is the consequences of rejecting the Lord, of rejecting the gospel. And you say, Leland, nobody here is rejecting the gospel. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe everyone is saved. Are you taking it for granted? There's a consequence for that, too. And finally, we're going to look at the blessings of salvation. So first, I want to look at the fact that the kingdom has come near. We look in verses 10, and we join this passage mid-thought, mid-event, mid-conversation. And so in verse 10, we need to keep in mind that Jesus is the one talking here. He says, But wherever you enter a town... And they do not receive you. Go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is telling the disciples how to handle the rejection of the ministry. They have been sent into the towns, into the villages, into the cities. And what they have been sent to do is they have been sent to prepare those towns to receive Jesus. Jesus was going to those towns. He was going to those towns to preach the gospel of the kingdom to heal and to save. That's why he was going to those towns. And the disciples were sent to preach his gospel, to preach his message, to prepare the people to meet Jesus. And we had a pretty good study on that, I think, last week when we were talking about our job is to do the same, to prepare people to meet Jesus. Okay? 
That's what they were sent to do, but Jesus also knew that they would run into towns that would reject him, especially when they went through the regions of Samaria. And so he's telling them how to handle these situations. The statement that he gives that the, the we're wiping the, the dust off of our feet against you, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. That is a warning of the judgment to come. The kingdom has come near. This is your opportunity. This is your moment. The kingdom has come near. The statement also reminded that the kingdom was coming. The kingdom was coming. It reminded the people that they had the opportunity to see and to hear Jesus. Can you imagine that? To see and to hear Jesus. What would it be like to hear the voice of Jesus? To hear Jesus himself talk? To hear Jesus himself teach, what would that be? I mean, wouldn't that be an interesting experience? I remember a few years back, the Pregnancy Care Center of Brownwood invited Tim Tebow to come speak at the Coliseum. And that place was packed to hear Tim Tebow, you know. What if a greater than Tebow came and it was actually Jesus? I don't think we have a facility. I would hope that we don't have a facility in Brown County big enough to hold the people. I would hope that we would not be that town that would say, no, no thanks, keep, you know, keep going on. But a lot of towns in Jesus' day were doing that. These cities had this amazing opportunity to see and hear Jesus, but they refused. They rejected. They were given a chance to hear firsthand his teaching, his gospel, to receive his healing, but they refused. And so what Jesus says is the kingdom has come near to you. The gospel has been brought to you. Salvation, redemption, it has been brought to you, but you refused. And when you refuse, what do you have to look forward to? But condemnation. That is Hebrews chapter 10. That there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a fearful looking forward to of the condemnation of wrath and judgment. They chose, by rejecting Jesus, they chose condemnation. And just as the kingdom came near to them, it has come near to us. We have a lot of problems in the world today. You know, COVID, politics, war, uh, economy, inflation, gas prices. The stores are actually running out of things that we're used to having them on the shelf all the time. And we got problems, right? And then there's our personal problems, and those always pop up. Yeah. But in spite of all these problems, do you realize how great a time we live in? How privileged we are in this t- day and time? I always talk to you all about how you can drive through the Taco Bell drive through in five minutes and get a taco. I mean, previous generations have had to work all day to eat. You know, the, the food prep took hours, and we, you know, okay, maybe not five minutes, Brother Jim. The line's a little bit longer. Sometimes it's 15 or 20. Still, that's a lot more convenient than they had 200 years ago, okay? I always talk about that, but that's, that's silly stuff. That's stupid stuff, okay? I mean, everybody loves tacos. We don't have to talk about that. Do y'all realize that we live in a time where we can read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. We can see the promises that God made about the Christ and about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and we can read the New Testament and see where Jesus fulfilled them. We have that full understanding. And we'll talk about this in a second, but in the Old Testament, when they're reading the Messianic prophecies of the book of Isaiah, or they're looking in the Psalms, or they're looking at the prophecies of Jeremiah or Ezekiel, they're trying to make sense of all this. Okay, God's going to send us a Messiah, and he's going to rule forever, but he's also going to suffer and die. How is this going to work? You know, and there, there were a lot of questions there, but we, 
And this is, this is a privilege we have had for 2,000 years. But we are privileged to be able to open the Lord's scriptures and see God made promise here, God fulfilled promise there. We are able to understand the full gospel of Christ in light of the Old Testament, in light of the New Testament. We have an understanding that the people of old did not have. We are able to see in scripture the prophecies of Christ being fulfilled. Jesus told the disciples in verse 24, Many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And hear what you hear and did not hear it. Many prophets, and we think of Elijah, you know, we kind of picture him as in old dirty clothes because being a prophet in those days didn't pay you enough to shop at the Gap. Do people still shop at the Gap? That is such a 1990s reference. You know, I mean, Elijah's running around in goodwill clothes. Okay, that's nice. But Jesus had kings. People who were on the higher end of society. Kings wanted to see what the disciples were seeing and hear what the disciples were hearing and were not able to. The disciples had an amazing privilege. The answers and understanding that you may take for granted. In Old Testament times, they longed for it. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 11, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was on them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Again, Messiah is coming. Messiah is going to end suffering. Messiah is going to establish his kingdom and things are going to be good forever. Messiah is going to die. Messiah is going to suffer for the sins of the people. He's going to be rejected. How does this work? Who is this guy? There is even a theory that there were two Messiahs. A Messiah ben Judah, that's your conquering, make the world a better place Messiah. Messiah ben Joseph, he's the suffering Messiah, the redemptive Messiah. We, we don't have to ask those questions. We don't have to debate how many messiahs there were. We know. We have been given this understanding. We have been given this vision. We have been given this ability and this privilege of living in a time where all those questions have been answered. And we live in a time when the gospel is readily available. There is an abundance of Bibles. They're everywhere. Stores that sell alcohol sell Bibles. Think about that. Think about that for a second. You can go to Walmart and buy a case of beer and a Bible and check out at the same register. I'm not saying the beer is a good thing, guys. I'm just saying look at the prevalence of it. It's everywhere. We give out Gospels of John. And so we're handing the Gospel out in printed form in Scripture. You know, back in the Bible times... The only copies of the scriptures you had were at the synagogue. And to hear them read, you didn't, you didn't get to touch them. They were precious. A rabbi read them in service. To hear the word, you had to go hear the rabbi read it and teach it. And it was the same in the early church. To hear the scriptures, to hear the Bible, you had to go hear the pastor read it and teach it. And if you were a young Jewish child, you went to synagogue school and you memorized 
the Old Testament. That's how you kept the Word of God. That's how you had your own copy. You hid it in your heart. We've got multiple versions of print and different translations phrased different ways to try to capture what the original language has said to us. You, you like something a little bit older, a little more archaic, and something a little bit more closer to the sentence structure, you've got the King James Version. If you keep stumbling over the way the King James Version is, is, is structured and the these and the thous and the THs and that sort of thing, you have the, the English Standard Version, which is what I'm using this morning. You have the NIV. You have the NASB. You have, you know, and, if, and if you speak Spanish, there's the Nueva Reina. Or the, I don't know, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to try to, I've been told I should not try to speak Spanish, Miss Rosemary. I, um, we had a Spanish-speaking customer come into the office one day, and I asked her if she would like a drink, because, you know, if you come into our office, we'll give you a Coke or a Dr. Pepper or something. And I, but I knew she only spoke Spanish, so I said, quieres bebida? And she said, I'm sorry, I don't speak English. That's how bad my Spanish is, okay? I shouldn't do it. We've got the abundance of Bibles. We have the abundance of teaching. You can listen to just about any Bible teacher in the entire world. You can turn on, you can turn on uh, KHCB or KHBW 91.7. And some of the best preachers in the world have radio shows on that station. You can listen to them one right after the other. If you live, you know, you live in some of the cities where some of these great teachers are based, you can go from church to church, so they have multiple services. You can catch the 8 a.m. at First Baptist Dallas. You can catch the, the 9.30 a.m. at the other church. And I mean, you can literally go to two or three church services and hear from two or three really good Bible teachers. But now we have the Internet. And so you don't even have to be a famous Bible teacher to be on the Internet. And just about every preacher is live-streaming their sermons on Facebook. We don't do that because my cell phone doesn't work. We record a podcast and upload it that way. You can do that. You have a home church back in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Chances are they're live streaming. You can go watch their services and hear their. You can listen to just about any teacher in the world today, and they don't even have to be stateside. You can go international with this. There's an abundance of teaching. There's books galore, entire bookstores full of books about Christian theology and doctrine. We have the records of great teachers from bygone eras. I have a Charles Spurgeon study Bible in which contains the handwritten notes of Charles Spurgeon and some of his handwritten sermons. And so I can read Sermon Spurgeon notes. I've only stolen one of them, okay? Um, but, but you can read what Spurgeon wrote in his sermons. We have accessibility via internet, TV, radio, blogs. The gospel is being preached through the entire world. Rachel got stuck in the sandbox in Thailand. Pucket. It's, a, it's, a, it's an island. And if you come in as a foreigner, they put you in pocket for two weeks to quarantine you there to make sure you don't have COVID, and then you can freely move about the country. Except they closed the country while she was quarantined in pocket, which is why she's coming home early. While she's there, she's stuck in a hotel. We didn't send her to Thailand to stay in a hotel for two weeks. She's really feeling guilty about being stuck in this hotel. I said, Becky, just read your Bible. Let this time be time you grow closer to the Lord. And maybe share some scripture to encourage some folks. You know, I said, because the people who help get you to Thailand, they want to see God moving in you as much as they want to see what you're going to do in Thailand. Amen. And so she does this video presentation on Facebook, including PowerPoints of the book of Ephesians. I want to share this with you. You may be, 
you may just be fascinated with what Rachel came up with. I mean, you know, I can sit here in the States and listen to my daughter teach the Bible out of Puckett, Thailand. It's a treasure. It's a treasure. And what do we do with this treasure? Do we believe it? Do we let it build our faith? Or do we reject it? Or do we take it for granted? The kingdom has come near to us. The Lord has made things freely available to us. All the wisdom and knowledge and spiritual understanding, he has opened the doors. We may not understand everything that is written in the scripture, but everything there is to be understood in the scripture is freely available to us. What do we do with it? There's a consequence to rejecting it. Verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Do y'all realize how strong a statement that is? If you were a Jew living in the time of Jesus, listening to Jesus teach, Sodom would have been the embodiment of the most evil you could possibly be. Think about the worst evil you can imagine on this planet right now. The worst person, the worst city, the worst place, the worst event to ever happen in your mind that you can conceive, okay? That's as bad as it gets. And for those first century Christians, Sodom was as bad as it got. It's a town that was the epitome of evil, of sinfulness, of godlessness. It's a town that God literally destroyed with fire and brimstone. We're talking about he's really preaching fire and brimstone today. Sodom actually experienced fire and brimstone. You know, we, we get up there and we tell you, go in there, sin no more. And when people get their feelings hurt, you don't have balls of sulfur being thrown at you. Okay? God's been gracious to us. He destroyed the town with fire and brimstone. Lot's wife. The angel tells Lot and his family, all right, now y'all, head for the hills and do not look back. And they're heading for the hills. And this had to be a frightening experience because you're hearing the explosions. You're hearing the impacts. You're hearing the screams behind you. But the angel of the Lord said, do not look back. Lot turn, Lot's wife turns and looks back. And the Bible says she was turned to a pillar of salt. You're like, that's pretty kind of harsh. I mean, maybe she was just curious. She wasn't turned to a pillar of salt because she was curious. That's where her heart was. She wasn't looking back because she thought she was looking at a at divine judgment or a divine fireworks show. She was looking back at what she lost. The Apostle Paul said that he lost all those things to gain Christ. But she didn't feel like she was gaining anything. That's why she was turned to a pillar of salt. Sodom was located where the Dead Sea is located now. That's how God feels about the sin of Sodom. That not only did he destroy it and then flood it to, to, a, to a, a sea that it can never be inhabited again. But the sea is unable to support life. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the lowest elevation in the world. It's actually below sea level. Jesus said... It would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than it would be for those cities that reject him. As bad as Sodom was, 
rejecting Jesus is worse. As bad as Sodom was, rejecting the gospel is worse. When you hear the gospel and, and you come to that knowledge of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation, what he did on the cross for you, and you reject that, in God's eyes, you are worse than the city of Sodom. And he is going to judge you worse than he judged the city of Sodom. So the gospel is not a take it or leave it proposition. The NFL could come to me tomorrow. Jerry Jones calls me up and says, Leland, I decided I don't know what I'm doing running this franchise. And I'd say, amen. And he'd say, I need a good general manager. Can you take the job? I'll offer you $5 million a season. I can take that offer. Or I can say, Jerry, I'm really happy here at LifePoint. Thank you for the offer. And Jerry goes and hires somebody else. He gives the job to Brother Rainey. And so, you know, the only thing I've lost in that scenario is $5 million, you know, the opportunity to earn $5 million a year and have the Dallas media curse me out on a daily basis. That's all I've lost. The gospel is not a multi-million dollar NFL contract. You're either choosing life or you're choosing condemnation. It's not a take it or leave it deal. In verses 13 through 15, Jesus is addressing the cities of Galilee. He says, Woe unto you, Chorazin! Woe unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you, and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. These cities that Jesus listed had front row seats to his earthly ministry. Capernaum was his headquarters. It's where he operated out of most of the time. Mm -hmm. They heard his voice. How, again, what would it be like to hear the voice of Jesus? They heard his voice. They heard his teachings. They saw the miracles. They saw the miracles. The people of uh, Samaria, you know, the Samaritan woman by the well, she didn't see the miracles of Jesus. All he did was tell her everything she ever did. You may consider that miraculous. But she ran into town and she told the people of the town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the people of the town came to hear Jesus. And Jesus didn't perform miracles to them. He didn't turn water into wine. He didn't heal a leper. He didn't make a sign in the sky. He just preached and taught. And they told the woman. What did they tell the woman? We believe in him. Not because of what you said. That poor lady couldn't catch a break. I mean, everybody's still piling on her, even after this amazing redemptive experience she's had. They're saying, we believe him. Not because of what you said, but because we've heard him for ourselves. They took Jesus at his word. The Samaritans, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were like, awful. But yet these awful Samaritans are believing Jesus at his word. You think they were special to him? Capernaum saw Jesus perform miracles. The multitudes from these cities went out to meet Jesus in the wilderness. He fed them miraculously with loaves and fishes. He healed lepers. He healed the cripple. He made the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear, the, the mute to speak. And these, by the way, were prophecies about what the Messiah would do. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. 
They saw the miracles, yet they rejected him. And even though he doesn't list Nazareth here, and that was his hometown, Nazareth tried to kill him. And all he did was read the first few verses of Isaiah 61 and say, today these verses are fulfilled in your ears. They tried to throw him off a cliff for that. They tried to kill him. Since they had witnessed his ministry and rejected him, their judgment would be worse than that of the cities that rejected him without having seen or, or, or heard him. It follows that those who have heard the gospel preached and those who have heard the gospel preached multiple times and have had access to the volumes of teaching, preaching, and scriptures that we have previously mentioned, it follows that those who have had this level of exposure to the gospel, yet who have rejected the gospel, will face a harsher judgment than those who did not. The grace of the Lord is that the clock has not run out on you yet. You can still repent and believe. Mm -hmm. Do not reject the gospel. But if you accept the gospel, if you believe in Jesus, you trust him as your savior. Let me tell you, there are blessings to salvation. Amen. In verse 19, Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. These disciples, they were able to cast out demons. The disciples, I mean, demons were always something scary to the people, but all of a sudden the, the disciples could walk up to a demon-possessed person and say, Come out of her. Come out of him. And the demon had to come out. The demon had to bind them. Yeah. I mean, how cool is that, Right. To be able to speak the word, lay hands on, and to heal. Yeah. They, they, uh, they had all these powers, and, and they're, they're telling Jesus, Jesus, we were able to cast out devils. We were able to do miracles. We were able to do stuff just like you do. And Jesus says, I saw Satan when he fell like lightning from heaven. Let's talk about the power of God. His biggest enemy, Satan, has zero power. Against him, or even in comparison to him. God actually gets to boss Satan around. That's the power of God. Mm -hmm. And Jesus tells the disciples, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. That means that as the disciples were doing the work of Jesus, they didn't have to worry about that accident that could claim their life, that snake bite. Y'all ever get scared of snake bites? I don't like snakes. Now, I know people are afraid of spiders. There's only one spider that scares me, and that's the camel spider. And it don't live here. All right? That's something you run into when you're in Iraq or in the Middle East. It's a spider that what it does, it gets you when you're asleep. And it sticks you with one little tentacle, and that, and that numbs your pain, and then it starts munching on you. And you don't know you're being eaten because it's numbed you. That idea scares me. Okay? But we don't have those in America, so I'm not afraid of spiders. You're never coming back again, are you? <laughs> He's talking about spiders eating people. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm not afraid of spiders. Scorpions, I'm respectful to them. I'm like, okay, you stay over there. Snakes scare the daylights out of me. Okay? The kids wanted a pet snake. And I said no. But, Dad, it'll be in an aquarium. I know you kids. Your pets always have a way of escaping. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a snake loose in the house. And then where am I? I can't go home now. We have to burn the house down. They got a pet frog one day. They caught it outside. They put it in this little aquarium. 
one day I go back there, and they're looking under the bed and under the sheets and everything. I'm like, what happened? Our pet frog escaped. I said, see, kids, this is why you can't have a pet snake. All right? I just got validated. I'm off topic. So they don't have to worry about stepping on the snake and getting snake bit. They don't have to worry about the scorpions. They don't have to worry about the camel spider. God has given them authority and protection from those things. They had power over Satan. Nothing could hurt them. Likewise, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, those of us who are in his will, we are in the hands of God. That doesn't mean you won't suffer a spider bite or a snake bite or that you won't have problems. What that does mean is that nothing happens to you outside his will. And the things that do happen to you happen within his will. And if it happens within his will, there's a divine purpose for it, and it becomes a transformative experience. That should give you peace. That should give you assurance. That should give you feelings of safety. Because if the kids like the snake loose in my house, I know that God's in control of all things. And even if that snake bites me and kills me, which they wouldn't bring, hopefully you're not bringing a rattlesnake into the house. <laughs> they, they're garter snakes and you know things like that are what they usually find. But if it bites me and kills me, I know where I'm going. Amen. This body is just temporary. Whatever happens to this body is temporary. This world is not my home. It's not my home now, as Brother Jim made the point during Sunday school, and it's not going to be my home in the future. I am in the hands of God, and nothing will pluck me from his hand. Amen. We have that peace and assurance. That's a blessing of salvation. And Jesus says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. What should excite us is not the power and security given in verse 19 where he says that the snakes and the scorpions can't bite us and we can cast out devils. That shouldn't be what excites us. What should excite us should not be miracles that we hope to see. What should excite us should not be the abundant life in this world. Oh, if I just trust the Lord uh, if I just trust him fervently enough and I serve him hard enough and I, I really dedicate myself to him enough, then my wildest dreams of fame and fortune and cars and houses and career advancements will come true. I just know that God will come through for me and validate my... No, no, no. That's not what we get excited about. That's No. What did Jesus tell us to be excited about? That our names are written Amen. in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. We have eternal life there. Yes. This life, it's all about transformation. It's all about teaching. It's all about us learning who Jesus is, who God is, Amen. who we are. And the suffering is part of the transformation. That's what God uses to transform us into the people he intended on us being. Yes. The blessings are to remind us how good he is. And also the blessings are to give us an opportunity to take something and to use it for his honor and his glory. What should excite us? That our names are written in heaven. Amen. I keep telling y'all, I think the reason churches are dying and the reason the Christianity is becoming less relevant in our society is that we've abandoned the gospel. And I believe that. You know what else we've abandoned? The idea of heaven. Yes. How much do we talk about that? Not a lot. At least not in my circle. Y'all are probably better than me. 
But in my circle, we don't talk about that a lot. The Heavenly Highway hymns. We don't have that hymnal. A lot of churches put it down. We just never bought it. We've never had it. But a lot of churches put it down because they feel like all the songs are about dying and going to heaven. It's like a big funeral book, Brother Leland. But it's reminding you that you have a home in heaven. Amen. That your name's written there. Amen. Why would you not want to look forward to that? A mansion over the hilltop. Why would you not want to look, look forward to that? Seeing Jesus. I keep telling you, what it would it be like to hear his voice? What if we could hear his voice? You know what? One day we're going to hear his voice. And we're going to see him face to face in person. Amen. And there's not going to be any camel spiders there. Well, maybe because there are animals in heaven and the lion will lay down next to the lamb. So if there are camel spiders, it's not going to bite me. I'm okay with it then. I'm okay with it then. Our names are written in heaven. Yes, amen. We go to this passage. I told y'all last week, y'all are going to hear me preach as close to a brimstone, fire and brimstone sermon as you've heard me preach in a while. I guess I kind of missed that mark. Uh. But what are we being reminded of? Yeah. We're being reminded of how blessed we are with the gospel resources around us. Your understanding of the scripture is not limited to my ability to be able to teach it to you. You can take my teaching, you can listen you can listen to men who have passed away. You can listen to Adrian Rogers and J. Vernon McGee. And you can gain a fuller understanding. The kingdom has come near to us. We're blessed. Let us not reject that and let us not take it for granted. But let us rejoice if you know the Lord is your Savior. Yes. Let us rejoice Amen. that your name is written in heaven. Yes.